Welcome to another episode of No Investment Advice. We've got Jack Butcher in the place. What's happening, man? New hat for you. Good afternoon, gentlemen. No, f- no NIA or Visualized Value merch today. You're, you're flexing a new one. Watch this space. Yeah, we've got some <laughs> stuff in production. We might have an update well, for listen, you guys today. If he's not, if he's not flexing uh, VV or NIA, I mean, you know that something else is... Yeah, Jack ain't putting something he doesn't own on his body. <laughs> <laughs> And also, we Love got here Trung, Trung fan here today. And look, we're going to have to just kick this straight off. Trung, there's a few big pieces of news coming out. So since the last time, as it relates to Trung fan, yeah, this time last week, you were about to hit 100K followers. You just Done. did it. You crossed the line. Done did you had it. your cake, which well, is I'll a big you, deal. I'll, I'll tell you what. I didn't realize that I was joking about the Dairy Queen cake, but my buddies actually made one. Like the ones I posted on Twitter, like... If you go on my Twitter feed, <laughs> nobody's going to go. But if you do, there's a picture of a Dairy Queen cake. My buddy literally dropped it off. And I'm like, whoa, this is like really well done. And it looked like they'd screen printed with the ice, uh, the, the, the icing. It was amazing, man. The cake was delicious. It was like cookies and cream. It was so good. Um, it, I'll tell you the funny story about that is uh, I woke up that morning. Uh, and last episode, we talked about Color Daddy. So I wrote a thread. Basically, everything I said on that podcast, I just turned into a thread because I did the same research. And that thread is what got me. I knew I was going to get to 100,000 because when you put a thread like that, I'm like, that, that's good for probably a 1,000 or two uh, at follows. But freaking Dave Portnoy uh, from Barstool retweeted it. Oh, and I didn't know that. that's what took me to the end. So that's what Jeez, makes it amazing. Geez. And now later we have that to day, cut clips, son. <laughs> later, we should cut it. And later that day, he got uh, suspended by Twitter for, um, it was hilarious. Uh, he got suspended by Twitter. The reason I found out is because I wanted to, I literally want to bask in the glory of seeing my tweet on his feed. And I go there, his profile suspended. And uh, it, I started Googling, uh, I started a, a Twitter searching what happened to him. So somebody was making fun of uh, Bars, a pen, basically saying like, hey, you guys lost Caller Daddy. What are you going to do for pen shareholders? And uh, Portnoy goes, uh, just sell your stock, man. If not, I'll like put my nuts on your head. Yes. <laughs> so apparently he got suspended for writing. I'll put my nuts on your head. And it took sure it enough, literally. Yeah, they put him back. And uh, I mean, I'm wired right now. I, I know I saw some of the YouTube comments were talking. Oh man, Trung's like, oh, wired. It's like, first of all, I got Red Bull. I just did a five kilometer run. It was really three kilometers because I walked the last two kilometers. And then, uh, <laughs> Dude, well, I think another reason you're wired is the second thing I was going to say is we're going to have to pour one out today, man. We got the Red Bull ready and we got uh, my massive coffee today because we're going to have to RIP Fiat Fan today. Yo, done, buddy. Pour out that water, bro. (laughs) Fiat Fan is dead and gone. So let's talk... Let's talk it through, man. What happened? Because like like, uh, live on the podcast, you shared your screen. You're about to drop it. So two episodes ago, we had Packy on. And uh, Packy McCormick, the writer for Not Boring, all around great guy. And uh, I was just, I, I just sitting there because we've been joking about it. And I had thirty thousand Canadian dollars, which is like ten dollars US. So do the conversion. <laughs> so it's a little bit different. I think it's like twenty five k US. I can't remember. But just it's been sitting in this account that I've set up uh, with Wealth Simple, which is like Canadian version of Wealthfront. And um, you guys told me not to buy because it looked like they custodied the ETH, right? Like I couldn't do anything with it. And you're like, oh, you're not gonna be able to do any of the fun stuff. But then the dip happens like middle of, la- middle of the week. I'm like, okay, if I don't buy this now, I'm never gonna buy it, right? Like I'm literally never gonna buy it. 
so I'm just like, okay, 15. I did my own version of mini uh, Balaji. You did Balaji's portfolio. Yeah. Well, Balaji's portfolio with whatever was in that. I can't. <laughs> the rest of my portfolio does not look like Balaji's portfolio. <laughs> Well, and, uh, so, and so you, you you experienced your first feeling of seeing that huge drop, right? Because I, I think it dropped and you probably bought it around. And then uh, it dropped again. Yeah, I got, I think again, I got so. uh, Bitcoin at 30 or 31. And then ETH. This is at US dollars? ETH, uh, yeah, US. And then ETH mm. at 18. So I don't, it definitely sold off again. And then it rebounded again. So I got the first V, man. Oh, what an experience. I've been missing out, boys. <laughs> Isn't it? Like, I, f I can't remember who said this. Maybe Vitalik or something. And he said, uh, like, in the stock market, if you drop 40%, it's like Black Monday or yeah. whatever. And if it's if it drops 40% in crypto, it's like a Tuesday. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, it's like, yeah. So it's just, I'm, I mean, really I'm messing really with the emotions. Based on, the last thing I'll add is that based on what you guys said last time with the, uh, Hey man, you can't do anything fun with ETH if like you're using these platforms that don't let you play around with it. It's like I'm literally never looking at this portfolio again. Like it's there. I'm gonna give my wife and my kid the password to this account. It's like don't ever look at it again. We either it's either gonna be worth billions of dollars <laughs> in 50 years or it's gonna be worth nothing. So like there's no point in even like I'm not I don't look at prices, I don't give a shit. Right? I'm like what Jack was saying is like, why why am I gonna look at the day-to-day -day fluctuations here? Like I'm not yeah. gonna sell it. That's it, man. Well, well, anyway, congrats. And obviously, no investment advice, but I know that's something you've been wanting to do yourself on your own. own yeah, I'm probably going to keep time, so. in, though. I, I got to get the fun <laughs> stuff you guys talk about so I can start doing this stuff that uh, Cuban's been up to. I want to lose everything. <laughs> <laughs> um, so look, boys, today we're going to be talking about a lot of interesting edge of the internet stuff. So Jack's going to be sharing a bunch of crazy stuff he's been finding. Um, we also got some fun fact fan coming up with Peter Thiel's Lord of the Roughs and potentially a story on Microsoft as well. Um, but before we do that, I just wanted to call out very high level, you know, we, people who follow the podcast know we, we follow crypto quite closely. Uh, there's been a huge drop in the last few weeks. Uh, as you mentioned, Bitcoin went below 30K for the first time in, in a bit, bit of time. ETH dropped below 2K. Um, but some positive stuff just to round up. Kathy Wood and ARK bought the dip. They've now got 8.5 million shares of the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. Uh, they also bought a bunch of Coinbase stock. Um, and then more importantly for me, um, A16Z, the leading Silicon Valley uh, venture fund, they just announced uh, today, we're recording on Thursday, uh, Chris Dixon just posted, they've just raised a $2.2 billion crypto fund, number three, which is huge. Uh, and for people so who don't far, know, man. These guys have been doing it for ahead of the curve. a decade, man. Unreal. It's crazy. Yeah. So, and obviously they're, they're not just buying Bitcoin and ETH and holding it. They're they invest in infrastructure. They invest in DeFi. Jack, you got, you got a thought, mate. I can see. Your I face. was just going to ask if if either of you guys know how big their position is relative to their like fiat funds in crypto. Does anybody? I think know? they. I think they hold AUM is about sixteen billion. Okay, fair. So and their crypto it's, funds it's, are up at like five or six now or something altogether. Yeah, so it's almost it's like probably 40 percent. I mean, uh, again, yeah. not investment advice, not math advice, but. Uh, the other thing about them that's interesting, I read about the information is uh, the interesting about the crypto fund is so, uh, look, we got a nice Jack's nice dog in the back there. Is that what's your dog's name? Tenny. Okay, amazing. What, oh, wait, oh, oh, Tennessee. Okay, we got you, buddy. No, no, uh, no, no. <laughs> Listeners can't see, but there you go. The YouTubers got a little visual on that. Yeah, let's go. It's a cute dog, man. <laughs> Good lad. Great um, dog. 
Last thought on that, I just want to add was, uh, so so obviously Ben Horowitz and Mark Andreessen, the founders of Andreessen Horowitz, they're really hands-on with their fund, not surprising. Uh, but apparently the crypto is very, very independent. And uh, it's an interesting part of their fund structure. Uh, they're just like kind of do whatever they want uh, because, I mean, listen, it's working. And Chris Dixon's clearly been on the, uh, I mean, Chris Dixon, we should mention, was one of the top bidders for Jack's NFT of his tweet that he sold. Yeah, for like episode zero. We yeah, said episode that on zero. Cool. Yeah, yeah, so uh, um, great stuff uh, on that front. I'm sure we'll be talking more about it. Uh, last thing I want to add before we jump into edge of the internet stuff was uh, my parents have been actually watching some of these YouTubes. I've been swearing too much. So we're implementing a swear jar. Uh, every time I swear, we're going to, uh, whatever, we'll call 20 bucks to swear. And then I'm going to have to donate that money. So just keep track. I know the editors will do someone it. Someone in the comments has to, has to <laughs> do a yeah, someone in the comments, this. Just tell me how many times I swore. We'll count the F word and we'll count the S word. Uh, it's just, I just like lose too much. And even my sister commented, she's like, it's too much. It's like, all right, you know what? I'm going to pump the brakes. <laughs> and uh, it's just how I talk. And I, it's also bad because my kid literally just parrots anything I say now. And I've had to like stop him from saying bad stuff. So I'm going to pump the brakes on swearing. Uh, and the last thing I'll mention about that was Jerry Seinfeld has a great uh, explanation of why he never swears. He says, if you, so he is the purest comedian you'll ever meet. He only cares about laugh. He doesn't care about, uh, you know, giving life lessons or or pulling out some aha moments. He he says that the only thing that the jobs comedian is to get someone to laugh. It's the hardest job that anyone can do. And he's like, if you use a swear word to get a laugh, you've cheated, right? So if I have to use a swear word to make a point, I'm cheating. So Jerry Seinfeld, that's the new philosophy. Good lord, it's a clean version of Trung. Let's see how this yeah. goes. Let's see how it goes. Um, well, sorry to transparency. So I might let fly with a couple once in a <laughs> you while. You guys but... can swear all you want, man. <laughs> I actually, because I when I worked at Charity War, one of the rules of the office was you couldn't swear. It was kind of a, oh, wow. yeah, it was quite a big change for me. And it, uh, and it kind of made sense because we had all sorts of people coming in the office, like older right. people, young kids and like stuff like that. It made sense, but it really made me hyper aware. Well, who of, knows like, now, man, with Google, you probably can't swear there either. They're so woke nah, now. <laughs> people letting it fly um so yeah the last thing i'll say on a16z stuff before we hand it over to jack is um obviously they're not just buying a bunch of crypto coins like i don't think they even mentioned bitcoin in the blog post which is interesting um but they invested in infrastructure DeFi projects nft projects all the all the stuff that is going to be built in web3 essentially uh they're going to be probably one of the leaders in that so Pretty exciting, um, and it shows a lot of validation for the space. So excited to see what happens there. Um, and last thing, Eric Adams, the New York uh, mayor candidate, said he wants to make New York City the center of bitcoins with an S. Go. So, <laughs> let's Pump's go, Trump. Back. Pump's I mean, moving back from Miami <laughs> to New York. <laughs> Jack, you you met him once, right? Yeah, good good dude, man. I did. I don't know what the result of the mayoral race was, but Yang definitely didn't didn't place, did he? I don't think so. I haven't. I, it was only a day Listen, or two. Listen, if Yang ago, won, I would yeah. know because every Asian in North America would have gone a ping, but uh, I didn't get the ping. So right. I think they said it's, it might take a few weeks. The last I read, because there's oh, yeah. a new system because you could rank people from one to whatever. Anyway, so 
that's a real quick roundup of, of that stuff. But now we're going to transition into edge of the internet stuff. Jack's been sending us, first of all, his crazy shower thoughts that, you know, he already tweets those out already, but we get like no, the no, 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 unfiltered no. version first. Jack's tweets are very filtered. Jack's DMs <laughs> are literally a live feed of Zero Hedge. So that's that's just, <laughs> Red pill Jack. That's why he's got the red hat on. Red yeah. pill Jack today. <laughs> There you go. Wait, Jack, I don't know how much you want to disrupt uh, Visualize Valley's brand, but can you talk about your media uh, diet here? Well, you know, Zero Hedge, I had to cut back on Zero Hedge, man. I was, on, I was walking around New York City with a gas mask on in January <laughs> of last year because of Zero Hedge. So, I, you know, it wasn't wrong, in the, but mate, there's only so much of that you can take. I think uh, the depth of Twitter comments is, you know, you can get down some really deep rabbit holes off the back of any zero hedge esque Twitter feed. Right. So mate, you've got a real, you've, it's difficult, man. The, um, actually here's a, here's something I tweeted out the other day is if you scroll any, if you scroll your Twitter timeline, you're basically given right access to your brain to anybody, right? Just yeah. imprint a thought or imprint yeah. a, like a trail that you start going down. And I just go through phases of, you know, completely down the rabbit hole, completely distracted by stuff listening to nine hours of Michael Saylor and you know that <laughs> with your son, this doesn't work then, out. Uh, Jack, what's the, uh, what's the second best uh, crypto asset? <laughs> there isn't one. <laughs> there is no, no second best. You got to cut the clip of Saylor. <laughs> what do you mean? There isn't a second. Dude, that, oh my God, that is That's such one of the best clips video. on the internet. Oh, it's so internet. good. What do you mean? There is no second best. Yeah. Um, yeah so, so, so gone, let's gone get now. into it. Jack, I mean, what was there anything red pilly we want to drop? I Wait, mean, actually, one thing I'm let me, go on. I, sorry, Bilal, I don't want to cut you off. I've also been told that I cut Bilal off too much, but uh, I, I'm and make... Jack, as of this morning, yeah. I saw a comment. <laughs> yeah, so we might have to put a fine jar for that too. But uh, last thing I wanted to add because we're going to potentially be we're going to be talking about Peter Thiel later and how he made a $5 billion tax-free investment in essentially PayPal with his Roth IRA. But the reason why I bring Peter Thiel up now is uh, uh, Jack. Uh, mentioned about the read-write access to your brain, like reading the uh, tw timeline for Twitter. But uh, I found a Twitter thread from three years ago. I'll, I'll, I'll post it here. We'll talk more about it maybe another time. But the thread basically goes through uh, how a guy read all of Peter's interviews. And he's like, if you actually read the way he answers questions, he does not allow somebody to put words in his mouth. And like, he won't parrot somebody, something somebody else says. Like he literally won't let those words come out of his mouth. Like he won't reiterate a question or emphasize somebody's point because he's like, he knows how powerful just the act of even speaking those words are to like changing your brain. So it's really interesting. Guy literally went through all of his interviews and transcripts. It's like, Peter won't even like let the words come out of his mouth. So just to Jack's point, it's 100% true, man. By the way, yeah. Trung, I was going to share my screen, but since we're doing this, let's rinse it a little bit. Manish Rajpal just posted on our YouTube video 30 minutes ago. Hey, Trung, we should not speak while someone else is speaking. <laughs> <laughs> I know you have ideas, man, but just let Jack speak for a while. So real-time feedback for the podcast. I love it. I love it, man. Uh, anyway, it's all good. Uh, we got to harness the trunk energy, man. It's a special force. So, Thanks, um, look, so Jack, let's get straight into this, mate. You've talked about some crazy concepts with us. 
The first one we're going to go into is Decentralized Disney. We're going to talk about Bored Apes uh, and also Creators Community and Crypto after that. But do you want to start with Decentralized Disney? This was quite a really, this was quite an interesting thought you had. Yeah, so this is based on the mechanic that the Bored Ape project baked in from the start, which is, so you own the commercial rights to whichever ape you hold in your wallet, right? So that, say I buy... I buy, uh, I minted an ape on day one. I paid 0.08 Ethereum for it, which at the time was 200 bucks, 250 bucks. I then own the commercial rights to that piece of artwork and I can do with it whatever I want. So I could put it on t-shirts. I could make a like little movie with it. I could turn it into a 3D character. I could rig it with, you know, 3D rig it and sell it as a, uh, like a asset that you can put in a VR environment. You know, your creativity is the limit for what you can do with that thing. And I think the interesting thing about coming into contact with that idea and having the background that I have is there are all these people that have these just incredible commercial creative talent that are nowhere near crypto right now because I think there is this really interesting societal divide on crypto right that like the creative types or the people that might lean a certain way politically sort of fire hosed with crypto fud from every angle right like bitcoin (laughs) is burning the world to its like to its very core and we're all going to die in five years unless we turn off bitcoin and the internet so what i think is interesting about that is that's obviously, there's plenty of people smarter than me that have debunked a lot of those environmental concerns or at least framed them in the context of like, you have to spend energy to have some, to, to produce a result of some kind. And the industries that produce this result currently expand, like expound hundreds of times more energy, et cetera, et cetera. But a, a debate for another day. But to talk about the the creative talent that isn't involved in this space to date because of that narrative, I think it, we haven't begun to see the potential of um, these crypto incentive structures as they relate to like producing entertainment or producing media or making things that uh, incentivize a group of people to grow the value of a franchise while they own equity in that franchise. So if you get 10,000 people that own Bored Apes, for example, and a thousand of them are like some of the most talented writers, animators, artists, musicians in the world, then all of their contributions under that franchise grow the value of their stake in the franchise. And it's just like this, you know, this complementary environment, this community that has commercial upside associated with their contributions so board apes is like a pretty narrow example of that but you can imagine uh characters i think um gary v actually has good perspective on this i think he like really understands and has talked a lot about like the value of the equity of a character i think like their media and their ad clients go after brands that have like what was it mr peanut yeah um and uh, uh, what was the Miracle Whip thing? Didn't that have a character as well? Miracle Whip? Uh, I'm not sure about no, it. But I know what you mean, right? Mr. Peanut is such a great example. It's yeah, like- yeah. So Mr. P, exactly the same idea is like, you have these things that are like, there's this unquantifiable value in culture of these things. Like if you imagine 
if Pokemon was owned by a collective of people instead of Corporation X, all of these people can move faster and do, run all these creative experiments and have this like financial upside associated with their contribution, which is different from going to the shop and buying a pack of things and opening it up and being like, oh, cool, I got this, this thing. Yeah, and that's like, a big shift. All the social connections involved in that. I was just talking to Celia before this about you boys probably had this experience as well. Like I was into basically every collectible that came through the school playground, right? It's, it, Pogs for me, Pokemon. Oh my God, Pogs. Yeah. Magic the Gathering. They, I, yeah. Warhammer I was into as well. You know, the little cat, the little um, paintable characters. Yeah. What about the Premier League stickers, mate? Were you into oh, that? Oh, big time. Yeah, yeah. And the England coins, <laughs> the Euro 96 coins. I had like two of those I didn't books. even have... Oh, that's amazing. Oh, mate. Great collectibles. So this is... I think this is another layer on top of that incentive thing. It's like... For me, it's like the that same like hit of dopamine you got from opening the packet on... Yeah. Like, in, in the playground where you could trade up and get a different card. But now there's like legitimate ways to make a living messing about with this stuff, which is, I think, a really interesting shift. No, there's something that you mentioned that, that actually made so much sense to me. So you said there's 10,000 board apes, yeah? There'll only mm -hmm. ever be 10,000. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, sorry, real quick, boys. Can we just remind people for, for new listeners what board ape is again? Because some people said they don't know <laughs> some enough, of the stuff we're enough. talking about. So. Okay, Jack, board ape. Yeah, really quick. What so, is board ape? So it's a generative avatar art project. Ten thousand NFTs. So there are ten thousand unique characters, but they're all based off this same like aesthetic. Uh, what do they look like? Well, they're like. What do they look like? I don't know. Illust they're like illustrated apes. They have all these different traits. Like, you know, some of them have freaking crowns and spacesuits, laser eyes, all this. The art is amazing. You should go and check it out. And there's varying degrees of rarity among these, uh, among all the different uh, iterations of the avatar. So unlike something like Pokemon, where you have like 50,000 or 500 different characters, this one is like one base ape and then it's just kind of tweaks and ten thousand unique characters correct what i love about this and of just listening to you talk about decentralized disney and just the idea but i mean let's just call board ape the analog right the board ape cinematic universe like this is where that's where it could head right it could be like the marvel with ten thousand characters instead of however Mar marvel has uh maybe call it a hundred high valley characters but um what's so interesting about what you said is uh, was Chance the rapper the one you put in the DMs today? Somebody that tweeted about Board Ape. Is either Chance or Wiz? But let's say it Chance was a rapper. Or... I don't think it was Chance. It was maybe uh, Waka I can Flocka check in the meantime. Flame, mate. Waka Flocka. Yeah, Flame. Waka. So let's say Waka Flocka. Waka. Whatever the rapper Waka. Let's say he puts Board Ape in his next music video. Right. He owns the right. He can do that. But now your Board Ape goes up in value. That's right. amazing. So you could get you could get Kevin Feig, who is a show uh, the the world runner for Marvel. He's like, you know what? I'm gonna put a board ape in the next Marvel movie. Guess what happens to your board ape, right? Like Jack's board ape. Ja first of all, Jack's board ape is already up how many uh, times since you first mentioned it about ten weeks ago? Uh two hundred X or something crazy. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> all right, people. Crazy. Yeah, we got it. Okay. Not investment advice. Not investment. We we literally anything on this podcast does not reflect the views of <laughs> of us as investors. It's but Jack, a disclaimer. Yeah. Yeah. Total disclaimer. Uh, but when Jack last talked about, oh, first talked about it about ten weeks ago, board apes have gone up two hundred times in value. His board apes. 
again, this could entirely implode tomorrow, but the illustrative example here being to kind of wrap a bow on Jack's decentralized Disney kind of thesis is now there's this board eight universe of characters. And if the right people start putting them for commercial uses, everyone wins, which is incredible. So the, tell me what you think about this next statement I'm going to make if I'm wrong or right. But going back to your, your initial kind of a point of there are a lot of creative types I call them Hollywood types, maybe that are being scared off about crypto, Bitcoin, uh, you know, all these energy stories. It's a scam. Mm -hmm. It's uh, it's used for money laundering, all that, all the FUD. So they're not being involved in something where literally everyone can win. Right. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think uh, it will be similar to the internet narrative, right? Where the technology kind of takes a back seat to the mechanic. You don't really think of like the internet is such an entrenched, technology at this point or e-commerce is a such an entrenched uh practice technology that you don't say i'm going to go on an e-commerce website in the same way you don't say like i'm going to contribute to an nft project it's like it's just this the economics of it are just going to change and it'll be part of culture if, if if it plays out that way and my thesis is it will another another point as you explained that that popped in my head is you have this idea of the creator economy which right now is like you have to go out and build your own brand from scratch, right? You're competing for attention with the likes of Trung Fan, um, Dave Portnoy, like you're building this thing on your, on your own. And it's the network effects and the power laws and all of those things are incredibly difficult to get to the top of and be like, get that activation energy and like the escape velocity that you need to really like get it big enough. But if you can attach yourself to a project like this as a creator, Say you're a, you're a 3D illustrator. Yeah. You could just tap into the Bored Ape community and say, hey, I'm doing commissions of everybody's... Hey, I've seen this happen. You have great, you have great talent. You have 10,000 customers baked in. And yeah. they all want to support you if you're doing the right thing because there's this positive sum uh, result as, um, as you produce more work, as you like, spread the network effect of the project. So I think it does a few things like these new economic incentives will really shift around like the approach a lot of people take to working on the internet and it will bring more people into the fold than hey you have to build this unique business by yourself in order to achieve economic freedom i don't know if that's uh going to be well, the case the question once these things hit critical mass you mentioned to us uh, in our dm chat that uh, a lot of this happens in a discord uh channel yes. is that right yes okay a yes. discord server okay so all these people involved in the uh, board ape community there's all this is happening in this discord yes it's it's remarkable i think that's pretty much the method or mode of communication for a lot of especially crypto projects but that could be a whole other episode like the nuance of discord versus like a slack it oh, feels Bilal, like play let's just do that man wow yeah yeah well, Bilal, what are your thoughts on all everything? Yeah, well, no, I'm just listening. It's really interesting, man. I, I mean, I think the way I, I remember you, I think you tweeted something like NFT projects uh, with commercial rights to characters are like a decentralized Disney. And I was like, I was quite a lot to unpack because it's like, it sounds super <laughs> simple, but when you, each part has its own thing, it's NFT projects, commercial rights, characters, and then Disney. And it's, for people who don't even know Disney's full story, like they've got so many, they're incredible company and the amount of stuff they've done is like being um, like an incredible example of how to take this intellectual property and 
take it to another level. And you know, if you think of the theme parks, the the TV programs, the merch, all the merch, stuff. Yeah. And the, and that was a great case study. But if you're seeing now in the future, there's there's potential for people like Jack who or anyone who's listening who's interested to say, oh, I'm interested in this world. Let me first of all get involved with the community first. Imagine you could do that with Disney like 50, 100 years ago, whenever uh, it was popping off. Yeah, uh, that's that's really cool. And then if you could say, oh well, I start to understand the community. People are collaborating. They're doing all these fun things. Here's my skill set. I'm going to bring something to the table. And now I have the upside, right? Like we talked about that a lot last episode around the shift we're seeing from people just promoting stuff to having actual upside. So it's all these things kind of converging. So it's really, it's really interesting, man. I mean, I just see so many, like when you first told me about Bored Apes, I was like, this looks kind of cool, but I didn't know enough about the community. Obviously it was still just starting off. But now just seeing the amount of people who've been involved, oh like goodness. even this week, Alexis Ohanian, the founder of Reddit, um, uh, who offered Trung a job live on Twitter, by the way, which is funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, he, he he just looks like he's got involved. Um, he's obviously a big investor as well in the space. So it's just like there's people like him and then you've got people from culture like Waka Flaka Flame who's going to make a look Martin O'Hans version of yeah. Bored Apes, <laughs> right? Like you might, you might throw it in a, in a music video at some point. So like there's, there's all this stuff that's like converging and it's all stuff we're interested in. So I don't know, man, it, it sounds really interesting. And I think there are going to be so many dot-com bubble parallels too, right? So there's going to be, you can see it now. Like if you want to try and time the next board ape thing, like everybody saw that come out and then there's a three or four week lag time for everybody to copy it and do like the low effort version of it. We just didn't listen. We weren't listening. We're not listening. Jack yeah. is just preaching here. <laughs> not investment advice. No. And then uh, like, yeah, you picked the wrong one. A good friend of mine, we had this analogy. Um, the, in the gold rush, you know, you, you travel west and the difference between your family getting generational wealth and someone else's family getting generational wealth is literally is one the, plot the location of the hole that you dug. Right? Yeah. Someone next to you is destitute <laughs> because they dug in the wrong spot. My God, dude. Yeah. Well, uh, actually, Jack, that's a good good thing to bring up because the first thing you talked about was the kind of FUD uh, or the, the kind of negative press cycles that go go through all of this. Mm. And and there's a lot of parallels to the dot-com boom and bust, right? Like 2000, whatever happened. And I kind of just see two types of people in the conversations I have. Um, and I don't think either of them are necessarily proved out to be right or wrong yet. But people like, do you remember pets.com and, you know, all the things that were worth crazy amounts of money and then completely dropped, which is a valid point because there's definitely elements of that in crypto. And then there were like Amazon and then these other big things that came out uh, and kind of hung around for the 2000s. Um, and there was real infrastructure being built. And there were even, mm. I remember doing my dissertation on e-commerce. And even then, I, it was like 2005 or whatever. And I remember looking at the numbers then, it was 10% e-commerce penetration. And I was just thinking, like, how is it only 10%? I thought we were already in the future. And then yeah, yeah, if you yeah. fast forward to 2021, I think the number is only 25% uh, or something like that. Maybe it's up And it all it, happened because right? of the pandemic, right? But, it, it, exactly. Like, like Toby Lucky, uh, Shopify CEO, said they pulled the 
e-commerce penetration up by like 10 years five yeah yeah exactly so i'm just so i see those parallels and now because we've all had some experience in seeing some of the cycles you can be a bit more nuanced about and say okay is bitcoin going to be that base layer of this new system is ethereum going to be the base layer of web3 or you know the settlement layer or whatever or is it going to become msn yahoo aol Mm -hmm. like that vibe and we don't know the answer yet right so that's kind of what people are betting on um and then you've got like obviously all the rug pulls and the real ponzi schemes that exist in there too because when people are making that amount of money there's going to be some some scammers in there too deviants yeah so anyway i guess our my approach anyway if if only if only there was a a fund that would invest (laughs) 2.2 billion dollars into this type of stuff exactly But yeah, I guess my my approach has just been stay as close to it as I can, be objective, not try to be like a maximalist in any way. And Mm -hmm. if, if, like I said a few episodes ago, if the facts change, like I'm happy to change my own personal thesis on it. Um, But at the moment, like there's so much interesting stuff being built that it's hard to not be kind of excited by it. Um, So Jack, was there anything else on the decentralized Disney before we, it kind of ties into board eight stuff. Yeah, yeah, I think um, there's basically two sides to this. The next couple of points we have in the notes, one is like the pure economics play of it. And then the second, I think, bring the second point up, which is we should put this in the, um, put this in the show notes. But basically, these guys, uh, these guys articulated this so incredibly well, what we just talked about, uh, this one pool quote, Fred Ersham, who was a co-founder of Coinbase, who's now like big, Web3, Ethereum, like creator, economy, crypto, or community. And I'll just read this pull quote where he wrote this, or there's an interview and the transcript reads, investing becomes a team sport that you play with your friends on the internet. What's exciting is people now understand that crypto is the right stack for doing that. Crypto is inherently social and the legacy financial system is not. So that's a great point. Yeah. Even if like 999 in a thousand projects go to zero, these mechanics and these like behaviors are being baked right and there will be uh there will be successful examples of these mechanics implemented and something like a uh, board apes is just you have more of a chance i think of or you have more information with which to make a decision than something like a pets.com for example because right, you right. can go and sit in the discord watch people talk about it you could see people with huge networks adopt it. And then you just basically run in that calculation in your head. Like, is this, you know, which direction is the trend going in? It's like you're trading the story essentially, but in a lot of ways, there's just a, even if the monetary gain is not that significant in the end, like experiencing this dynamic and learning this like shift in behavior, I think if that's something that you're inherently interested in is a, you know, is a worthwhile, the, the financial exposure is worth it to get the, uh, to get the understanding the of this new dynamic. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm definitely not like, this is not a retirement strategy what, by any means, <laughs> but the, you know, the information that you'll get from it is going to contribute, I think, to your competitiveness in the economy in general. So, um, yeah. Well, let's talk about how uh, how did how did you learn about pets.com, right? They spent two million dollars on a Super Bowl ad, and then you get these really fluff stories, right, right. Business Week and Forbes and Fortune, and uh, you know credulous people on TV 
making pronouncement that this is the future versus, like you said, you go in the Discord server yourself, you buy a board ape if you can, and then you get to see the dynamics around whether or not this could work. And even if it blows up, like to you, I mean, not to say that you suggested it would, but you still learn. It's like, oh, I'm seeing now how something can come off the ground, right? And um, so they've launched another collection called Board. Board, they being board eight. Board dog, dog kennel club or something, which is like these okay. um, these uh, tokens that you get as a holder of an ape. So everybody that had an ape in their wallet was airdropped. Oh my God. I love so it. I got, I got eight apes in the wallet. So you get eight dogs and then the artwork gets revealed a week later. So you don't know what you're getting until tomorrow, but you had it from last Friday. So it creates this crazy marketing genius. I love your grin Look right now, man. Smart this it's is. like a kid in the playground. Uh, with we'll his pot okay, hold on a second. <laughs> Let's add this. Can we pull up your most valuable ape? Can I roast your most valuable ape? Yeah, right yeah, now? yeah. Let me pull it up. Okay, Jack, yeah, you can yeah. share your screen, mate. All right. Uh, All right. Just, uh, let me roast Jack's most valuable ape. All right, you ready, boys? All right, how many? Here's, oh, here's my, my goodness. Oh, oh my dogs. God. This is incredible. Wait, wait. So we should have been showing this the whole way through because this, <laughs> as soon as you're on this screen, it just explains well, Jack, this whole world. Now, right? You're saying if you're involved in Bored Apes, even if it doesn't financially uh, go to the moon, you are watching how to create hype. You're watching how to bring something into existence by winning mind share, winning the attention economy, right? Oh, yeah. my goodness, man. Like, yes, how excited are you? What happens if, man, what happens if one of those dogs turns into that meme that would, the big black dude? <laughs> it's not going to, mate. I mean, that's the, other, that's the other interesting thing about crypto, right? Is that I think if you listen to, again, not to recommend the Michael Saylor stuff too much, but the idea that there are incentives in the network for you not to destroy it. Like they could do a rug pull on this, but- the, Oh, you're right. Yeah. The, the amount of- uh, the amount of cultural velocity this thing has, if they were to do something stupid at this point, they'd just be like burning themselves. Well, right? the market cap of Board Ape is 130 mil, I believe, everything. I think so at the moment, but even since I shared that, I think it's up from there. Okay, so call it 150, 200 million. Incredible. So could you explain, so you've got a hoodie in here too, right? That looks kind of cool on the right. It's another airdrop thing that they did. So it's Oh just, my goodness. So is, that just, most, is that a physical that? hoodie they sent or is it a- No, just it's a-, a you can wear it in Decentraland, your character oh my in God. VR. <laughs> no way. So when they That's release incredible. this, everybody in the Discord goes into Decentraland wearing the hoodie, talking to each other about board. It's, oh a, it's a really fascinating thing, man. And uh, some people got the VR headsets and I'm not that deep into uh, the environmental stuff, but... Well, wait yeah, till I mean, three episodes from now. Wait till freaking. Yeah, I'll be coming like, logging in with yeah. the thing on. <laughs> Log, we're going to have to do a shared VR yeah, we're gonna experience have to buy, on the screen. We're going to have to buy some Oculuses. Yo, can you show us your most valuable ape and then tell us how many ETH it's worth and give a dollar value? Well, there's, an, there's a. Um, the market decides what it's worth, but this is the most. This is the highest offer that I have on the books here. Okay. So this, okay. All right, yo. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Yo, bro, this looks like me after a weekend bender in Saigon, man. <laughs> this Wait, dude. Sorry, for people who are only listening, they, they can't see the screen. First of all, click the link for YouTube. The, the last bid two days ago was 10 ETH, right? 
Yeah. Th- so this is a, this is a, okay, Jack. I want you to explain what this uh, board ape looks like. Then I will give my uh, version of what it looks like. And that's worth on paper in U.S. dollar terms over twenty thousand dollars in current prices. Yeah. And you bought that for how much was it? A few hundred dollars. Point seven five. Oh so god. Yeah. So you're at the oh time. Yeah. yeah. It's twenty x or something. All right. So uh, tell us what you think this looks like, and I'll tell you what it really looks like. <laughs> Well, you know what? I'll give you the reason I purchased it because there's, there's commercial rights to these apes. I went for the apes that have the branded merchandise. Oh, on them. dude, like, wait. You mean like the hat? You mean? So you hat can make the, this hat yeah. and you would own it? The, the, all the, uh, the value of it? You can, you can put the ape on anything. So I think it's, uh, I don't know if you could extract just the logo. Okay. okay. This, my thesis of this is this is like the hype beast ape i saw this and i'm like this is like the streetwear dude with the double branding the freaking stoned eyes and the big wide smile and the cheetah print gold earring mate he's got it all oh okay so so jack's description is it's an ape that is, his skin is a uh, uh, a cheetah print he's wearing a hat that has the board ape yacht club logo and a shirt that has the the skull logo for the board ape I'm looking at someone that went out last night and <laughs> came home at 7 a.m. and right now needs at least three Egg McMuffins, a coffee, and five Tylenol stat. And probably a 24-hour nap. This you is what I'm Sounds like you got some experience, Trunk. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's the board eight version of Trunk. Uh, yeah, man, this is... No, I have to say, the way you just described that, Jack, obviously this is all a lot of fun, but like you really thought this through, like all the different oh, yeah. variations. And, and I think you had a crazy spreadsheet, which maybe we'll be able to share. I don't know if you're able to share that. Um, yeah, so look, I, got, I, I grabbed the... I can share it, yeah, but I grabbed the rest of these too. So merch, 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 merch. And then these two, only, they only have four traits. So there's only 230 apes in the 10,000 that only have four. Oh my eggs. goodness. So th- now I'll switch over to the spreadsheet. And this is basically uh, somebody in the, com- in the board community built this, which essentially, you know, stack ranks every single ape by the different statistics. So you can say. Oh, there's a rarity. There's a rarity column. Yeah. Oh, rarity there's rarity for that must be trait. an algorithm. That must be like some sort of great formula, right? Okay, yeah, so yeah. I oh, hold up, Zach. Could you go back to the screen of everything you own? I, I just want to make a comment here. Um, so for the non uh, anybody that's not watching and just listening, so Jack here has his uh, OpenSea.io, which is one of these Andreessen investments, actually, where you get to hold your NFTs. So right here there are uh, call it what is it, eight board apes. Uh, you got a cyberpunk, and you got some other random NFTs here. Okay. And eight dogs, of course. Eight dogs related to the board apes. Yeah, yeah. There's a non-zero chance that this could be your family's retirement portfolio. We'll see. We'll I mean, see. well, actually, just to give a comparison, Jack, the the crypto punk you got there, right? We talked about it once on the podcast, but that that what's it say there? Twenty point two five ETH. That's mm-hmm. was that a bid on it, or that's how much you paid? That's how much I paid for it. And just for people, yeah. So some of these have been auctioned off for $10 million, $12 million, right? So, mm-hmm. and again, you might have to go back to episode zero and one to hear the full idea around like why NFTs have value in the first place, because that will take the whole conversation today. But 
like that's kind of what a lot of the bet was for a lot of people was like this is a newer version that's a bit more fun the streetwear version like you said well the ones you got and they've and then you're also betting on the community and everything else that's being built whereas the crypto punk the value really comes from it being the first version of this sort of nft which has been debated significantly yeah. like it wasn't technically the first but it's the first that got this level of adoption and christie's and sotheby's are auctioning them and all of those all of those things and the doors it opens to the nft world too like the the community of crypto punks is you know nft or sorry, must be deep ethereum uh veterans from way back and so there's a lot of reasons i think but yeah, there is a financial speculation aspect to these things as well, of course. Oh, that's amazing, man. And just, uh, I just want to add one more thing, actually, on like, because there's someone else listening to this who's like, all right, these are just funny pictures on the internet. Why do they have value? And, and, I, and that's fine if you, if you believe that. And that's a fair point of view. But like the whole point here is this is well, like a new version of collectibles. Collectibles have been around since our grandparents' generation, mm. collecting stamps and coins, us doing it in the playground in physical terms. This is the new version of that. And uh, so you don't have to like it to appreciate like what's going on here. And, and that's kind of how I feel about it. Like I don't really have any, I've got like one that I was gifted, but I just like love to see what's actually happening. I, I mean, I might dip my toe in it eventually because it's, it's like really interesting. The second thing I'll add is, it's all about like uh, limited supply, right? Like you, there's only 10,000 of these, right? So yeah, it's true scarcity, yeah. True scarcity. In the same way, Bitcoin has 21 million coins. Um, there's, there's only 10,000 10, of these. Um, and then there's all the fun play stuff as well. And so I don't know, man, this is really cool to get the, to get the update from you. It's fascinating, man. Yeah, I think... Um I'll write a lot more about it because I'm still trying to figure it out, but it's, um, so it gives you a great economics lesson too, and like digital culture. And there's just a lot to be gained from it. And you don't have to put a hundred grand into this to start learning those lessons, right? You could, you can join the discords and listen and they're all free to join. Like you don't have to buy anything to get in there. So if anybody's curious about it, I would recommend before you spend any money or do anything like that, just uh, go in and, <laughs> That's go actually good. In that's good investment questions. advice. Exactly. That's good investment like, advice. <laughs> DYOR, DYOR. Well, do we have anything else? Because uh, I thought this would be a good I know, I think, Yeah, this is... Because we can talk yeah, about Yeah, let's, let's definitely chat about that. The only thing I was going to say is, Jack, is there anything... Because I know you'd, you'd written some notes in here about the evolution from Web 1 to Web 3, which was quite interesting. Uh, did you already speak about this? It was no, like, I think that's a good wrap for the... I think that's a good wrap for the section... So this is not mine. This, I believe, was this guy, Patrick Rivera, who is an engineer at Mira, which is... Um, Andreessen Portfolio also. Another one, yeah. So it's like a crypto-native publishing platform. So think of like WordPress, but for crypto, it's beautifully designed. They have this uh, great mechanic for getting writers in where they run a contest every Wednesday and people have to vote with tokens in order to bring new writers on the platform. So they've done a really clever... They've got a really clever marketing machine growing it. Um, and he wrote this, I think it was a tweet and he's expanded a lot on it. So go, definitely go find him and follow him. But he talks about web one being information links. So Wikipedia, universities, like just get information, put it on the internet. Web two is social links. So that's your Facebooks, your Instagrams, your MySpaces, where people are starting to have um, 
you know, build relationships with one another via the internet. And then web three is economic links. It's not, you know, it's, this is additive, not, uh, doesn't replace it. Not replacing yeah. it. So economic links become, you know, you can own a fraction of something or you, you know, you get upside in something like, uh, the contribution that you make to a decentralized organization or a piece of content that you produce that receives X number of impressions. There's just a much more uh, fluid relationship between what you produce and what you receive in return. And you know, that's, there's still a ton of friction in Web3 now. Like the on-ramp is not easy for a lot of people. You have to go and buy your Ethereum on Coinbase and set up a MetaMask wallet, then move the money over, then, you know, authenticate that on all these different platforms and it's growing despite that friction so yeah. that's another reason i'm kind of fascinated by it is wow people go to this trouble to buy a cartoon of a monkey and <laughs> you know man it's yeah, well that's so its, its own type of time. proof of work it's, that's a different type of that's proof true. of work. Right? yeah what people are willing to do to get involved in something i think is a good signal for where it's going so and actually, Jack, one of the things you've said that's always kind of stuck with me is, I forgot the exact phrase, but essentially once everyone's figured something out, that's where like a lot of the opportunity has already gone away. And so like, if you're the sort of person who's listening to this, that's been so curious that you're connecting your web wallet and you're like, what's MetaMask and doing all this crazy stuff early on, that normally is a really great thing, obviously for learning. Um, but also if you're like an entrepreneurial person and you're like, well, what, how can I basically benefit from this or contribute to this, however you want to see it. Um, like if you just think of those layers in, in web two, which were social and mobile, obviously kind of pushed it to the next level too. There's going to be all of those new things, like the new version of the app store, the new version of uh, iOS versus Android, you know, like the closed yeah. system versus open system. Um, there's going to be the Ebays and the verticalized versions of a big auction place. So you, we're already seeing that play out, right? Like we, like I don't know enough about this, but OpenSea to me kind of feels like quite a broad NFT platform. And then you've got um, like more verticalized versions and they've, they can make features and stuff like that specific to that vertical. So yeah, man, it's just, uh, it seems like if A16Z and others are investing this much into it and it's one of the four or five big sectors, there's just so many things that are still to be built. And whether that isn't building stuff through code, but it's explaining things, because I think that's one of the hardest things in this space, is really breaking down all the jargon and saying, well, what's the use case of this? Why is this even useful in the first place? And why, um, how do I define this in simple terms and use analogies? So maybe, maybe you're someone listening and you're like, oh, I'm actually good at communicating. Maybe that's another way you can kind of get involved. That was fantastic. Yeah, thanks for sharing that, man. That was really cool. Um, so yeah, edge of the internet stuff. Uh, people have been asking for it, and this was definitely down the that rabbit hole. Jack, yo, Jack, just to, <laughs> listen. Delivering. If people aren't familiar with Jack Butcher, he runs a seven-figure course giving people exactly <laughs> what they want. So if people wanted edge of the internet, and you came here for edge of the internet, and you didn't get it, if you didn't think that you just got edge of the internet, this is the wrong podcast for you. <laughs> yeah. He's hanging out, man, on the edge Go of the internet. The center. Go back to the center. All right, we got the next section. Let's move on to fun fact fan. Wifey approved. Wifey right, approved yeah. name. Okay. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> I, I literally just I literally just dropped so many random facts throughout the day. It's just like that's my nickname, fun fact fan. So yeah. I mean, it's fun fact fan, but we also it's really just like a couple of things that have been we wanted to explore today. One is Peter Thiel's Lord of the Roughs. 
um, yeah. and then Microsoft uh, just passing two trillion dollar market cap. So depending we can, on time, we can through those quickly because I know we got some reader questions. So I'll yeah. just go through those super quickly. Let's do Peter Thiel. I think that's probably worth yeah. us talking so, about. ProPublica got their hands on a bunch of tax documents. And uh, about, I think, either 10 days or, four, or two weeks ago, they released something, a big report, the, a big splash report that was like uh, Warren Buffett and Bill Gates and uh, Elon Musk or whatever. These billionaires, rich people in the world, they don't pay very many taxes. Uh, a lot of people are just like, hey, man, like we kind of already knew this. This is like not a huge revelation. Um, and I actually kind of looked at it and I also kind of rolled my eyes. I'm like, man, we already know this is like... The, they're not getting taxed because they don't have any income, right? It's the way the tax system set up. They're definitely gaming it. Uh, it's all legal. It's tax avoidance versus, you know, tax evasion. Um, there, I mean, it's some tomfoolery. Like, like instead of like selling the shares and having a taxable event, a lot of billionaires will just borrow money, right? They'll go to yeah, Goldman and be like, we have, listen, if Jeff Bezos goes to Goldman and says, hey, hey, I want you to lend me $10 billion against my Amazon shares. They're like, yeah, sure. Like Amazon's as good as gold, right? Wait, could we just explain that for people? Because this is quite a big point. Like basically rich people at that level, they don't necessarily, if you've got a billion dollars worth of Amazon stock. Oh yeah, you, if you have a billion dollars worth of Amazon stock uh, and let's say you're Jeff Bezos, you have way more than a billion, you have tens of billions, you, your, your taxable event on Amazon stock would be if you were to sell it, which he does, he has a selling schedule, but a way for him to avoid taxes uh, uh, in, 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 without having to pay capital gains would be just to borrow against his shares as collateral, right? Because you could pay bank. like less yeah. than 1% in interest, in interest if that. Right? It's because, I mean, he's, Jeff Bezos is good for the money. And yeah. like, if not, you have Amazon shares. So that's a way for them, a lot of rich people, to not have income, right? They don't have to declare income, they just pay interest instead. But, uh, so this big report comes out. A lot of people, a lot of the criticism of that report was like, you know, like, you know, we kind of already all knew this. And the other part of the criticism was uh, the question of, okay, you got your hold on these kind of private tax documents. Should you even make them public? I'm fine with it. It's not the end of the world. Um, Chamath on the All In podcast is like, you know what? We should just make everything public. In Scandinavia, all the all the uh, tax records are public, right? You can look up anyone in, I don't know if it's Scandinavia, I think in Sweden, you can look up anyone uh, or it's either Sweden or Norway and you know how much they make and how much they pay in taxes. Uh, so that was kind of the criticism with ProPublica's piece. But today, this morning, they dropped one on Peter Thiel. Uh, Peter Thiel was a PayPal founder uh, and now just kind of like a, or what the first uh, outside check-in of Facebook uh, he turned 500,000 in Facebook into a billion dollars and now just uh, co-founded Palantir, super, super successful investor, uh, biggest think boy in the Valley, uh, known for his contrarian thinking. But uh, this ProPublica piece, uh, it was actually pretty interesting. So we knew about this story where uh, uh, Peter Thiel had put uh, money into a Roth IRA, which is an, an, a retirement vehicle, which is made for the middle-class Americans. Uh, the, the mechanics of it, I don't want to get too deep in the weeds, but essentially you can put after-tax dollars into this retirement account and just let it grow for decades. And then you can withdraw at, uh, I think, 59 and a half years old. So 59 years and six months. Uh, Any time then or after, you can withdraw the money from this account. And it's non-taxable because the money going into it are after-tax dollars. So this is where uh, the ProPublica piece really peels apart. Uh, what Peter Thiel did. And and I'll, I'm going to have to agree with him. It is quite sketchy. One other thing that you can direct those dollars 
in various directions while yes. they're assigned while they're in the it. account yeah, yeah, right yeah, yeah. Okay, and I, most I people say- don't do that though, right? Because most people open a Vanguard, like I have one, and I have a Vanguard account, I buy the S&P 500. You never look back. Yeah. yeah, but there's a way that you, there's, I think it's called a self-directed IRA, yeah. and you can go exactly. and buy crypto, you can invest in companies, you can buy gold bullion like Jack used to do, and do all that co- sort of crazy stuff. So I, from my understanding, that's what he used in this case, right? Right, I want to, uh, sketchy is not the right word. What people are questioning, the, the, the piece about the pro- public report is there's two segments number one is this retirement vehicle is clearly made for the middle class right it's like the the intent i think the average amount in one of these roth iras is thirty six thousand dollars i think that's what ProPublica said thirty thousand thirty to forty thousand peter till has five billion dollars in there it is non when he hits 59 uh, years and six months he could take out that five billion untaxable but the way it was structured this is where the questions start coming in i read through it and uh uh, this is not finalized. I'd probably have to do deeper research to read it again. But I think what happened was this. He bought $1.7 million, 1.7 million shares of PayPal at whatever, at 0.0001 or whatever decimal place, it gets you to $1,700 because the limit for Roth IRA at the time was a $2,000 post-tax contribution. So he basically got 1.7 million shares of PayPal. So the question now becomes, was the accounting and valuation of those shares reflective of $1,700, right? This is where the controversy comes in because shortly after the founding or he was uh, given these shares, they went through a number of uh, investments. I think Nokia invested in them. They raised money from venture. And the valuation of those shares was not $1,700, right? It was like, I think they raised that, oh, whatever, $5 million and then they value at $10 million and those shares should have been, whatever it is, those shares are more than $1,700. So that is where the kind of controversy is coming into play. So was the valuation of his initial contribution to that Roth IRA kind of correct? And if it wasn't, he's been able to, what Jack brought up, self-direct, tax-free, hundreds of millions and now billions of dollars wherever he wants, right? And uh, a, a piece that, uh, and the, the ProPublica, we can just joke about some stuff. They call it Lord of the Roths because uh, Peter Thiel loves uh, Lord of the Rings. I think uh, Clarion Capital, Clarion is his hedge fund, is named after like a, a, a gem or something from Lord of the Rings. But a uh, pretty catchy title. And uh, if you read through, it's pretty funny. They, they, they stick to the analogy. There's like a really funny segment. They're like, uh, there's more money in Peter Thiel's Roth than you'll find in like Saruman's lair and all the dragons and gold there. <laughs> and I was like, man, good job, guys. Like, Night and out, yeah, sounds like. Yeah, good for you for sticking to the analogy. But yeah, so that was a big one that dropped today. So to summarize is Peter Thiel has $5 billion sitting in a Roth IRA that will not be taxed when he hits 59 and a half. The controversy around that was whether or not the initial contribution was undervalued uh, uh, just significantly undervalued, maybe even a way that is fraudulent. I don't know if fraud's the right word, but like questionable. And then, um, the reason why, uh, I found it interesting was this is so much different than the one ProPublica dropped two weeks ago, which was just kind of hand wavy and like, okay, well, we kind of all got that. Like, is this the best you have? It's like, this one is like, actually, this one I bet is going to hit pretty hard because There's it's just such a clear it. misuse, not just misuse, but this is, this is not the spirit of what this product was made. And they also found that I think Buffett has 250 million in one of these Roth IRAs. So, you know, the criticism of Buffett's always like, yeah, the government should tax billionaires more. And then he's 
off using these instruments. You know, they're allowed to. They're out there for people like him and regular people also to use. But obviously, billionaires will pay seven figures a year for tax lawyers to figure these things out, right? The regular American does not have that benefit. But I think and the big lesson I'll, here is oh, go, go don't ahead. use a Roth IRA. <laughs> <laughs> that is investment advice yeah well to try and just to add I, I i've only been here for like eight years so i don't know the legalities of this 20 years ago whenever he first started doing this i don't know um and again i'm definitely not a tax uh person so you can double check this whoever's listening um but there's there's normally like an income limit like after a certain amount of right. income you can't you're not even el- you're can't not even eligible it. to he was making seventy two thousand. you nailed it he uh as a founder his salary was under eighty thousand dollars and and that's quite a key point because i think a lot of people hear the headline and it's like billionaires pay no tax right and, which is definitely look that's a whole huge yeah, debate we can't talk about it. but the but the point is they don't pay income tax most of the time because they have a one dollar salary or a seventy two thousand exactly. dollar salary and so a lot of these things are based on those things um and most of them I'm not against someone paying themselves a uh, 72k salary. That that's fine if that's legal, but it's it's more about if the like you said the ethos of why this it's was created was for people. The spirit, the letter, right? Yeah, exactly. So anyway, really interesting, and it's interesting that it's kind of coming out at this level. Be interested to see what happens in the next few weeks if he comments on it or whatever. I predict he won't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, people have known about this, right? This is people have known about this, but ProPublica actually was able to get. So the reason why they were able to get the nitty gritty documents was they got the documents when uh, Peter Thiel uh, uh, applied to become a New Zealand citizen. So they got those documents because he had to give up, tell New Zealand everything about his financials, right? So they got a hold of those documents. That's a real treasure trove. He had to say everything he had to become a New Zealand citizen. And that's oh. that's another bag of worms we could talk about, right? It's like super billionaires moving into, uh, kind of moving to New Zealand. Uh, well, fun fact then is uh, uh, my, uh, <laughs> my father, uh, I went to New Zealand uh, in the mid seventies because in South Vietnam, he was working in a hospital. He was a young doctor, about mid twenties at the time, but he's working with New Zealand and Australian doctors uh, because New Zealand and Australians were supporting the Americans in the Vietnam war. And uh, when it became clear that the South was going to fall to the North, uh, New Zealand doctors got him out of the country and he studied in the University of Auckland. So New Zealand, thank you. Thank you, New Zealand. Respect. So yeah, that, thanks for summarizing all that, man. Um, so Callaway asked us about radical ideas and product or companies that we're, we're seeing. Um, so he said, what was it? You should do a weekly segment where each of you share a radical idea, product or company you came across. This one also I probably would have to think about. But Jack, one thing you shared with us was this Carmen line thing and the Axe Infinity game. I don't know if either of those okay, are relevant dude, here. Come on. Well, I got, I got actually an answer for the radical idea product company thing first not investment advice just start with that but um when i was in miami a couple of weeks ago i met this lad who's uh working on this music investment platform called indify and he started it as a analytics platform with his co-founder to basically predict artists that were going to blow up. So they take all the streaming data from YouTube, Spotify, blah, blah, wherever else. I think he worked at a label. So he had some insight into like what to look for. 
and built this platform and then I think licensed it to labels for them to, you know, go and find artists and reach out to them and try and cut a deal. But now what they're doing is they're trying to build an investment platform where they can cut deals, like they can connect angel investors to artists on way more favorable terms than a massive label would. So well, I think, and this is not a crypto company right now. I think they, you know, they obviously have some legal instruments that they put in place to structure the deals. But crypto, I think, will is an obvious like infrastructure layer for this eventually. But if you imagine um, this whole thing that we've been talking about, trusted distribution, where say I'm Jake Paul, and I wanna, I see this artist has made a tune that I love. I'm gonna invest in that song, and then I'm gonna put it on my next YouTube video, oh. and then I'm gonna walk out to that and my next um, fight. So what I think we're going to start seeing is like Bored Apes, one example, but basically these investment vehicles to invest in like pieces of culture. So songs, art, videos, and align the incentives of creators, distributors, like, you know, attention is upstream from capital, all those good things. But um, yeah, it's called IndieFi. I think they're taking, I think you can go on there and sign or apply to sign up as an investor or an artist, or um, maybe there's one other, maybe a, a manager or something. But they, uh, they discovered Khaled, you know that, that guy? Yeah, I know Khaled. Great artist. Um, and when I was down in Miami, he showed me this thing that there's just some like, kid with a demo tape that he put on Spotify. That's, that got into the, um, they predicted it was going to blow up and it got into the like top 100 streaming on Spotify, which you cannot imagine the volume of traffic that that to get there, generates. Yeah. just insane. And I think Alexis Ohanian is an, is a, like plays around with that platform too. He got involved in it. Um, you know, Dan Runcy writes Trapital. Yeah, oh, such a good newsletter. Yeah, amazing Unreal. newsletter. He wrote a piece on Indify a while back. But anyway, I, I'm, uh, it just kind of, really nicely complements the stuff that I've been experiencing in the NFT world that isn't necessarily you know, crypto native right now, but it shares the same ethos, uh, same spirit. It sounds very similar to uh, everything you mentioned. We touched on about how Bored Ape could be decentralized or like an example, decentralized Disney. Like Jake Paul buys that portion of that song and goes out to fight on it genius yeah and and like this is uh i asked them for their pitch and what um like what would you normally say to investor it's like traditionally like art and music and film and all of those things have been considered very dodgy investments yeah if i told you that music is safe because it has you can tap into it when it has this cultural velocity right like Something goes viral on TikTok. I'm not saying like labels are also trying to figure out how to do this, but they're doing it on terms with artists that are, you know, exploitative at worst and like just unfair at best, right? They're yeah. taking that, such that's a the huge share portion. of the pie is tiny. It's like for streamers, for example, if you're, yeah. you're like the amount of streams on that you had to, so like somebody ran like something on like the amount of streams that you have to, like Kanye had to get to make X amount, it was like, tens of millions if not hundreds of millions right yeah yes yeah, it's, it's interesting and i imagine that's gonna be fractionalized even further than one investor eventually right like if you have a hundred thousand kids on tiktok that are dancing to this song and they have upside where every time they publish something you can imagine how that changes the investing landscape and 
We talked about Robinhood for people before with stuff like BitCloud, but it's all this like monospaced font, crypto native, like nerd fest right now, right? Versus, you know, these beautiful platforms like TikTok where you just, the friction is non-existent and you like, in the same way that you get metrics on views and likes and posts, I feel like, you know, the economic, um, mechanics is going to evolve into all of that stuff with time yeah and also jack kind of similar to what we talked about last week with DeFi. like the parallel i see here is taking that whole pie that previously went to a disproportionate amount to a middleman essentially and saying well for 10 15 years we've already got to the point where music is pretty much you know, distributed online anyway. That's where people discover music. Uh, it's yeah. even evolved more now with TikTok and, you know, people like Drake making songs specifically for TikTok pretty much and the streaming albums versus like old school albums with 20 songs. They're now shorter and, and made for that streaming format. Um, and, and now if you take that idea and say, okay, now there was this huge chunk that was going to labels. And I'm not saying the labels don't provide any value at all because I'm sure there's a bunch I don't fully understand, but probably the percentage here is not what it will be in the future like everything else. It's going to be more distributed. And that opens up a whole chunk of the pie for fans, like supporters to say, not only am I buying your ticket for the concert, I'm also buying a $50 worth of, you know, equivalent of creator coins we talked about, but like music coins for Kanye or even better, like an up and coming artist that you want to go support. And now if you marry that with something like content ID for YouTube, do you guys know what that is? No. It's, ba it's basically if you upload any video on YouTube that has music in it, there's a check that happens. It's just software in the background and it scans it. And it, you know, the same way Shazam knows what the song is right. in like three seconds, it matches it with a database and it straight away flags it to you as the, the, the uploader and says, this has got a song Backstreet Boys owned by universal music or whatever. Um, check this box essentially. If you want to, it will either get taken down if, because they have the right to take the video down, but what they've now moved to really is to share um, oh, wow. they get like sponsorship ad money. So all the ads that run on your channel, they will get a cut of that. So they, all the labels were like, great, we can actually, instead of taking stuff down, we're just going to get a percentage of revenue. So, so imagine that, but instead of the labels getting it, using that sort of content ID Shazam technology for any music you're hearing um, on a commercial platform anyway, and um, regular people could potentially gain from that. That's I don't know if that's actually possible, but that would be kind of cool if, if you could do it. Yeah, I think like it's like siphoning the massive amounts of revenue that, you know, YouTube is collecting and giving to Sony or UMG or whatever and giving it back to fans. And if you're an artist, don't you want like, wouldn't you rather have a thousand fans invested in you than some like dusty like VC or like opportunist in an office somewhere <laughs> that doesn't really give a shit about your music? They just yeah. see a financial opportunity, right? And and they can't accelerate the adoption of it in culture anyway. They're going to use their dollars to go and pay the people that could be investors. It's all middlemen. So many middlemen. Yeah. So many middle people. Yeah, and it's pretty uh, crazy. That that like to go back to the meme thing. That would be the theme of every meme we created, right? It's like this is how you used to do it before, where there's a boardroom of like 900 people, and this is how we do it now. I make a song, people like it, and then the people that promote it and use their distribution to get it out there share some of the upside because we're all, you know, we're all making the pie bigger that way. 
Um, but yeah, we could definitely get some visuals going. The Winnie the Pooh, right? It's the, you know, the, the investor versus the capital, what was the thing? Capital provider. Uh, SoftBank's uh, annual 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 general meeting they had on Tuesday, and the entire theme was, uh, "Oh man, God, Massa Massa was stroking himself." He said, uh, "Capital providers are as important as inventors." And then he used the uh, Industrial Revolution, where one of the Rothschilds uh, gave money to James Watt, who invented the steam engine. That was actually the late 1700s, and I just love I love how he found this story. He's like. Look at this, like capital providers are just as important as inventors. And I'm the capital provider for the information revolution. That's the framing, but uh, hilarious, man. And uh, uh, we could, we should actually probably talk about SoftBank the next one. We, I would love to actually talk about what has happened since the WeWork debacle. Cause That'd it's be just great. been, it's been insane. And he's, I mean, there's a, the, I'll, I'll leave with this is uh, we'll tease it, but there's a passage in, uh, I took it from the economist article. They wrote a really long article about SoftBank. And uh, one of uh, the people that work with uh, Massa is just like, say, like, how does he do deals? He, he goes, he's not really big in his spreadsheets. He likes to feel the force of a deal. <laughs> Respect. The force of a deal. He That's a brilliant line. feel the force <laughs> of a deal. Like he'll be on a Zoom call. And the other part of the article that was hilarious is, so every morning between eight and 10, he just takes Zoom calls and just gives all money. He's given out, uh, invested $200 million a week this year uh, wow. in 2021. So he's literally just imagine waking up, having a coffee, two hours of Zoom and be like us at the end of the calls. Like here's 50 mil for you. Here's 30 mil for you. Dude, even like 200 mil a week for the first five months of the year, that's only $4 billion. The guy has still 40 to $50 billion in dry powder. Unbelievable. Mad. Money. Do we have another question? We got, yeah, let's just do one last question. Probably a quick one though. So I guess Liam Killingstead, he said, who's the best athlete out of Trung, Bilal and Jack? <laughs> this is the, the most random question. Well, like we've done, go on. Well, how about this? We'll answer this. What, I mean, what sport would you say you're the best at? Like objectively speaking, Bilal, what are you, what sport are you good at? To play, uh, I'd say knowledge wise, if I was a football manager, I think I'd be great, but maybe not on the pitch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, what are you actually good at? I was pretty good at cricket. Uh, and I know you two probably don't play cricket, so I'll stick to that one. But yeah, I played football and like racket game. Like I played tennis and badminton and squash and stuff as well. But well, really... Let's get to the bottom of this. What's your max bench? Oh, wait, uh, you got enough strength. Let's put numbers. What's your max bench? Max bench? What? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing to do with cricket. I don't even know what that is off the top of my head. It's probably... When was the last time you did a bench press? Uh, probably uh, last week, but it was me getting back in the swing of it. So it's nowhere near my personal best. And I, I, I just pick, I picked up had, like a, PB, a couple bro? of dumbbells. No, I genuinely, I, I don't actually know. It's not a lot. It's it's pretty just. Wait, wait, how much do you weigh, <laughs> bro? What are we doing here? This is getting. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're playing this game. How much um, you weigh? One hundred and seventy. I don't know. Eighty. I'm, I'm about. I'm about one. I'm about. I'm about one sixty-five, can you bench your body weight? I definitely can't. Oh no, definitely not. Definitely not. <laughs> Deadlift okay. though, got those got those calves going, you know. Okay. Um, all right, Jack, what about you? What sport would it be and what one are you best at? My I'm a, I'm pretty like you can throw me on a field, I'll get in the way of people, but finesse is not my thing, man. I uh I stood in for a um I played a quarterfinal lacrosse game for um, my university. I've never played lacrosse before, but my roommate was uh, 
out for whatever reason. So I was lacrosse like, yeah, in, is this in the UK? In the UK, you it. I didn't yeah, even know they played lacrosse there. Broke my ankle. Did you win? Did you, win? Yeah. <laughs> did you guys win the game? Yeah, they, they, I think they did. Yeah, but I would last about 10 minutes. We always he used broke to, his uh, ankle, so he doesn't remember. Well, we always used to like take the piss out of lacrosse as a game, you know, because it's like, are we were playing football or rugby? It's like, oh, lacrosse is, you know, soft sport. And I've been doing that for like a year. I go on for 10 minutes and then my ankle gets shattered. So uh, that's my sporting legacy, boys. Not very impressive. Drunk, I feel like you've got some yeah, ice actually, hockey got or one. something. I have got got hoops, man. Hoops, bro. It's on there. It's Ooh. on the Twitter feed. Go check out the stroke. It's wet. I saw that. I saw that. That jump shot was looking pretty clean. Yeah, it's it's real nice. clean when there's when there's no defenders. <laughs> yeah, no one in your face. Go on, Jack. You about to say something, mate? Billiards, snooker, pool. That's oh. like that's my sport. Okay, I could see you being. I feel like at uni you were a, you were a killer, just hanging in the student union. That's 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 my sport, boys. You know, it doesn't come to mind uh, off the top of the head, but you know. Some people classify that as a sport, so I'm going to take it. <laughs> darts? Right, cool. What about darts in the pub? Not great. Not great. I've, I've chucked my, my fair share of darts, but not great at it. All right. So just to summarize, me and Jack, I met me and Bilal. We cannot bench our body weights currently. There was a time Definitely when we not. did, though. There was a time. Um, lean, lean, mean trunk at 150 was in pretty decent shape. That was, uh, that was before COVID-15. I was going to say, the year's been rough. The year's been rough, man. I mean, I'll say, uh, I know it's so dark, but uh, when people said that adding uh, 15 pounds during the COVID-15, I'm like, man, that's pretty good. That's a good one. That's a good pun. Yeah, 100%. Um, yeah, I mean, and I'll just say, like, the I picked the least athletic sport to be one that I was good at. So, <laughs> cricket. I mean, if you see, like, for any Pakistanis listening, I know there's one of you. There's a guy called Inzamamo Huck who was, like, one of the best batsmen of all time, especially for Pakistan. This guy has a gut, like, like no one's business. And uh, he would just, like, finesse around the pitch. But he just, he was so good because he didn't want to run between the stumps. So, that's uh, the way to do it. All right, boys, I know we're running out of time. Uh, Tron's gonna go pick up his kid before he gets fined. So uh, let's. Yeah, you guys heard that? Hey, that was a clean right. sheet, I think, Trung, Right? Yeah, clean it's clean, guys. I didn't swear once. All right, that's guys, that's perfect. Thank you, and uh, let's fun. touch base with some of those things that we left uh, open for next week. Next right. week, that was great fun. Nice one, boys.